Everyone ready? Let's do this. Yeah. Okay, Gary, first question, gonna keep it really easy. You have 1.2 million followers on Twitter. Well yes. done there. Uh, you've got channels all over the place. You've got Stitcher, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud. What's your favorite? Um, my favorite. I think this is similar to when a lot of people ask me what my favorite wine is. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I think we go through momentum. I would say Twitter has historically been my favorite platform because it's the easiest one natively from a UI, UX standpoint for me to engage with all of you, which is really valuable to me. Snapchat right now is, you know, and obviously a lot of the people in here who are either watching or in the room know if they follow me, I'm very fond of. And what I really love about that is when I have the chance to reply one-on-one -on -one in that environment, I get even more of a lift. To me, what I love social media for is a little bit different than I think most people. I truly believe that most people are way too over-focused on the distribution of their content in that environment. And for me, I'm very much focused on that, but I do believe that it is a platform that allows for scaling the unscalable, the one-to-one -one engagements, I know a lot more about the people in this room than they could ever imagine. Um, I, and I think that's how you build actual community and depth. And so for me, the tools that allow that the most um, are the ones that are most interesting to me. And so I, you know, I'll be honest with you, even the change on Twitter to the heart where I'm now, instead of like, which felt weird, like somebody says something nice. It's amazing how little subtle things work. If somebody here said something, I never liked anything on, uh, or starred. I never favored anything on Twitter that one here would say about me, but the heart, because of the way that works in the other platforms, is more of a appreciation for you giving me love, and then it's a scalable way for me to create context with you to let you know that I'm paying attention. Tools that allow me to prove that it's me. Mm -hmm. I think I'm always stunned how many people, even after a decade, are still questioning if I'm doing it. So Twitter video, Snapchat's incredible for that. It's a, place where I get to prove I'm actually reading it, I'm actually engaging with it. And so I think that's super important. Uh, so my favorite ebbs and flows, um, but uh, always my favorite thing is the one that allows me to create depth on a one-to-one -one basis, which then allows me to build actual relationship with people who then amplify organically the stuff that I'm actually pushing out. I believe the work that I put in to actually have relationships with the people I've known a long time and things of that nature create a scenario that allows when I put out something, my, the threshold for them to share it because it came from me is probably a little bit lower because I have equity that I've gained through not my words but through my actions and so those are the kind of like checks and balances that I'm trying to figure out. In your opinion, is social media a marketing tool though? 100%. Anything in the world that has people's attention is a marketing tool. Like football jerseys are a marketing tool because you're looking at them. Social media is a slang term for the current state of the internet. And uh, I think the internet is a marketing tool. You say about marketing tools and social media being a marketing tool. I have like, I was thinking of questions earlier today. I've been going through other questions that people have asked you through all the Q and A's. I want to talk to you about VR, but in a different way. Like Facebook okay. bought o Oculus back in 2014, and apart from doing a little thing with Samsung, and obviously the 360 degree videos that they're now starting to roll out, I want to know your thoughts on this. What do you think, and how do you think Facebook are going to use that, that purchase? What are they going to do with VR like in a social media context? I personally believe that 
Mark Zuckerberg is the single best day trader of attention uh, in the world. If you think about it, when he bought Instagram for a billion dollars a couple years ago, I think you guys all might remember, everybody freaked out. It was only 550 days old, the company. A lot of people hadn't even created their Instagram account yet, and here's a billion dollar exit several years ago when a billion was more than it is today, right? Um, Just to remind everybody, I get a lot of credit for being early on Snapchat. 18 months ago, Mark tried to buy Snapchat for $3 billion, right? $3 billion for Snapchat, where only now in the last 60, 90 days have people said, wait a minute. Um, He bought Oculus because I believe, and I don't know this for fact, Mark understands that the only arbitrage to the internet itself is gonna be VR. So VR is not gonna arbitrage social or how is it gonna work together. VR arbs out the internet itself. VR becomes the next platform where our attention is. You put on those contact lenses, and the reason for all of you that follow me, I keep saying contact lenses, it's an ode to what I think is gonna happen, which is I don't think VR on a consumer level is gonna go as fast as a lot of people do, and by the time they do, I don't think it's gonna be some conky headset. I think we'll be into contact mode in a decade when I think it actually hits scale. I think VR right now, is far more similar to internet 1992, 93, than like tomorrow all of you are gonna be watching your movies and playing video games on headsets. Like, like that's too big of a jump. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're slow. Yeah. Like we're slower than we think. Like think about how much you buy on e-com. This is, by the way, we're in the UK. This is a mature e-commerce market and still think about how much shit you buy at the store. Right? So we don't do things as fast as people think at scale. Obviously there's early adopters. There's plenty of nerds in Silicon Valley that are gonna put headsets on and VR it out. But at scale, I mean people in this countryside, right? I mean middle America. That's gonna take a much longer time. But the reason he bought it is because Zucks is playing for keeps. Like Mark Zuckerberg's gonna run Facebook until he dies in his mind. He's a young man. And I think he's more similar to a Jeff Bezos-like CEO where he doesn't care if Wall Street looks at the line item of $2 billion and goes, you suck because there's not as much profit this quarter. He'll be thrilled for the stock to go to 20 because he knows in 24 months the stock will be at a buck 20. Yeah. And when will we be interacting with you on VR? You know, for me, I'll be there as early as I think there's enough meaningful scale to get learnings from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are like, you're so, you predicted a lot of things right. You're so disruptor or whatever, you know. I think I'm practical. I actually just wait. Like, I haven't predicted anything. I've just moved very quickly when Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr or YouTube or email or Google AdWords was at some scale that was more meaningful than the rest of you thought. That's like with um, the Snapchat thing, supposedly. It's not supposedly, you were looking at it in 2013. And people only said, oh, he's only on it now. It's like, you look at it, you analyze the products, you think, do I do it yet? The best thing that's going on for me right now is with with Snapchat and with Daily V, I'm documenting, and Ask Gary V, I'm documenting so much more of my thoughts in depth. So a lot of things that I know are gonna play out in 24 or 36 months, I'm gonna have a lot more video around than I did with like one or two talks where I talked about Snapchat three years ago. So I'm excited. I'm excited that also a lot of you can make fun of me in two or three years on things that I was wrong about. I like the meritocracy of having those conversations. The reason I'm not scared though is I don't really bet that hard. For example, 
Think of it as real estate. I'm not gonna go in the middle of absolutely nowhere and see an amazing beach and there's no infrastructure, there's no roads, there's no airport, there's no people, but it's the most gorgeous beachfront I've ever seen. I'm not gonna buy that property. That's 20 years away. But where I would go is that is that infrastructure. I wasn't the first guy or gal that bought there, but I'm buying it 36 months, 60 months before it really pops. That's how I play in these platforms. I'm not the first user. I'm not the second user. I'm on Peach right now. I'm paying attention, but I only have to check it every 30, 60 days. I'm not there checking it every hour, right? I'm paying attention to Kick, right? I'm paying attention to these platforms. I'm paying attention to Anchor. You guys know this, I've been throwing it out there. But I'm not there every day, I'm not producing for it every day. It's kind of over there, I know about it. I know why I'm paying attention, whether the founder, whether the thesis, whether consumer behavior, but I don't talk about shit I don't believe in. And so I'm actually quite boring for periods of time. If you guys are, if some of you met a really tall young man back there, he said, I've been watching since episode 10 of the Ask Gary Vee Show. Ask Gary Vee Show is funny to me. If you watch the first 100 episodes, all I talk about is Facebook. <laughs> like it's so underpriced and so, and then all of a sudden, you know, episode 175 to episode 300, I'll just talk a lot about Snapchat and influencers on Instagram. Like, I don't need the, like, if, and then if you talk to me about my pillars, like work ethic, you know, self awareness, all this, I'm never gonna change. Like, I just wanna, you know, the lucky thing for me is the world changes and I deploy my thesis on the new thing, but at its essence, you can get bored of me real quick. So if you were starting out now, where would you begin? Where's well, the... I, I would reverse engineer myself first. So if you're sitting out here and starting out now, like A, you have to understand that creating content is the cost of entry to being relevant in society. Like, like whether you're a person or a business, the creation of content on these platforms is the cost of entry to relevancy. So the first thing I would do is say, what can I do to create content? Am I good at writing? Am I good at video production? Am I, should I audio it? I think everybody here has to reverse engineer themselves. For me, you know, video is the most powerful platform. It's been proven. Movie and TV stars are more famous. Like, this is just the way it is. So I got lucky. I light up when the camera comes. Like, that's, I get going. I can't write a sentence. Like, my, I can't even imagine the jokes my team makes at VaynerMedia. I don't think I've even written in the body of an email in three years. <laughs> Everything I have to say is gonna come in the title and that's gonna be it. And I don't even use commas. I go dot, dot. It takes me longer to do what I do. That's how bad my grammar is. I'll go dot, 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 dot. It takes me longer than a comma. That, like, I can't even get myself to use commas I, <laughs> because I don't understand grammar. And so, so that's a bad idea. So I think the first thing I would do is I would sit here and say, how do I communicate? And if the answer is none of the above, you should team up with somebody. Mm, yeah. Because you have to communicate. You have to communicate and create, but it has to be authentic. I often talk about the 23-year-old, 24-year-old business coach that's never built a business. Like that pisses me off. And so I'd much rather a 24-year-old that wants to make money off of people talk about the journey of becoming a business person because that's actually what they're going through versus faking it. Um, so I also think it's massively important to put out content around what you actually do. In 2006, when YouTube was super young, and I'm about to start a show, and this is early internet, web 2.0, if you think about where we're talking about, everything that people watched was about tech. It was Tech TV, it was Scoble, it was Kevin Rose, Dignation, 
And I'm like, shit, I'm gonna do a wine show. <laughs> like, like, wine shows not, like, wine's not mainstream ever. And never will be. I remember everybody after it was successful was like, oh, but you had a great subject matter. I'm like, do you know how many fucking people care about wine? <laughs> like 11. You know? <laughs> like, like so, so, but I knew that I had to talk about something authentic. In the same way that I knew as things were evolving, that in my heart I was like, you know, I don't want to be America's wine guy. There's a lot of people that could be a better wine critic and wine personality than me. But what I am good at is this business marketing thing. I better start producing content from that because that is coming from an authentic place. It's how I built all this. If, you, if you're like passionate about something, then it also tells in the content you create, and you were, yes, and but, you are extremely passionate yes, about Yes, but, but you know, a lot of people confused my first story of Crush It, of like, it, you know, it's not like just because you love football, hmm. or hip hop, or roses, that you're entitled to build a million dollar business around that. Passion is massively important, I'll tell you why. Work ethic is an absolute pillar of variable to being successful. And if you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel like work. And that's a big deal. Like, if you feel like, if you're working on your side hustle from 6 to 2 in the morning, 6 p.m., 7 p.m., right? And you're not up for it, like you're forcing yourself because you need the money or the dream, you've fucked up. You picked the wrong thing. Like, to punt all your leisure and all your friends and family and to work on something and to be tired the next day because you have to get up for work, which you really don't want to do, which is why you're building your side hustle, that has to be about your passion. Because it's just too hard if it's not. It can't be about where you think you can make the most money. What I don't think people understand is you can make a lot more, like there's a lot. So I wrote Crush It a long time ago. The emails that I get, I get way more people that are making 50 to 200,000 a year talking about the craziest, like the emails I get are so bananas. Like, well bananas in my Snapchat so I won't use that. Like, like hey Gary Vee, I, you know, I read Crush It in 2009 and I'm making $74,000 a year in ads and selling t-shirts around raspberry jam only. (laughs) I've had a lot more people make money deep, deep, deep in the longest tail niche that you could have ever thought of. Hip hop stars from 1986 to 1989. This is a real one. There's a guy who only talks about hip hop from 86 to 89 because he was in high school during those years and now he's like, now he gets paid like five to $10,000 a month retainer to do hip hop consulting for companies that came from the content he was putting out. He's stopped being an accountant. I mean, (laughs) right? But the people that are losing are, I tried to build an affiliate marketing company. I tried to do $500 eBooks. They went for the money. They had no patience. The hip hop guy and the Raspberry Jam girl and this guy had years of nobody giving a shit before we popped. I did Wine Library TV for two years with not with crickets, crickets. What kept you going during that time? Because I knew I was right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what kept him going. I mean, he was right. That's exactly right. That's and like, right. When, like, like when you're, and I know, but, but don't forget. And there was something else, and I'm, that's a little, that's a little bravado. What I also had the history of how I built Wine Library. Everybody said I was wrong to do an e-commerce site. My dad got scolded by his liquor buddies, saying you should open a second store, not this internet fad. Right? When I didn't do a catalog like everybody did catalogs because I was doing email, that was stupid. Because catalogs were the establishment of how wine stores sold product. When I was buying Google AdWords, instead of doing more direct mail and took direct mail dollars out of that, that was stupid because direct mail is what got us here. What gets you somewhere is never the thing that gets you to the next spot. 
Yeah. I'm gonna. We good in the audience to grab some questions from you guys now? Oh yeah. no, we all microphone up. Yeah, let's get the guys who've got tickets first. Let's, okay. let's get them involved. Uh, raise your hand if you want to ask Gary a question. Louise, can you get to the man in the blue there? We'll come to the front in a sec as well. Uh, introduce yourself, your name, where you work, and what you do. Hey, I'm Warren. Stand up. Done. We can. We can't Oof. see you. Please. You work them hard. I'm not. Yeah, what stand up? What advice would you give to one of the world's biggest brands that has just started selling products online? One of the world's biggest brands that's selling now direct-to-consumer no, online? No, it's just starting to sell products online. Just starting, but before yeah. has been selling it through retailers through, or other things? In, in, in the wholesale market. So first thing I would say is make sure your channel conflicts are all set and you have no issues. So yeah. one of the biggest issues in the game right now is you know, a lot of big brands want to go direct to consumer as the infrastructure is getting built up, yeah. but if you, if you create a little bit of uh, friction between the people that actually sell your products because you're arbing around them, so first I would say politically, make sure that what you're doing, you know, you don't try to like cut your nose to spite your face because you have to have those relationships. Number two, I would say to make sure that the people that have been involved in the wholesale business are not involved in the DTC business that you need to create a completely autonomous division that understands that because they are very, B2B and B2C are very different businesses and require very different skills. The other thing I would say is please understand there's a very big difference between being a salesman and a transactor and being a brander and a marketer. One of the biggest mistakes is big brands go from into this environment and then they're taught that this is a quant play and it's all math conversion. And all the things that help them build the biggest brand in the world, branding, they punt and they just care about last attribution, to, you know, conversion based. You know how many people in this room did not jump on Snapchat because they didn't understand the ROI and how to convert the ROI or understand what the ROI was of the video because there was no direct attribution in a digital environment? Because they're salespeople because they're, they're transactors. They're not branding and marketing people, right? Like these motherfuckers right here, they didn't cookie me on the internet and follow me around with banner ads and I gave up and I bought this pair of shoes, <laughs> right? I bought these because I blindly was fed it somewhere over the last 30 years that this is what I'm doing, right? So big brands, I think, make the mistake of going way too transactional because they'll bring in a separate team that are digital marketers, that are quant-based, and it's like, last touch on Google, last touch on Facebook, and they lose the essence of branding and marketing, which would force them then to make three and four minute videos on Facebook where they could do much better commercials, they could do content, where they would do Instagram and Snapchat as emerging platforms, where they would do content deals. So those are some of the pillars I would top line cool. religious things I would think about. Thank you. Um, um, tall man at the back who was referenced earlier. From number 10. Good luck, Louise, getting over there. Gary. Yes. I'm the tall guy. Yes, <laughs> I'm aware. Um, what advice would you give to a VP in marketing and a brand new startup when it seems like there's everything to do? Where should your focus be in the first six months? I, I think startup marketing people, first of all, this is a weird thing to say. I would tell you probably, as, and this is a generalized statement, but I would tell you that the marketing people at startups that have less than 20 employees are probably the weakest group of marketing people I know right now. Um, I've been really grossly disappointed with, you know, with the talent at that level, mainly because startups have not dragged down people with experience. They've given people upstarts an opportunity, which is great, and I love that, but it sure leaves a lot to be desired. I would tell you the first thing that I tell them, and I speak to a lot of them, hence the thing I'm concerned about, is 
there's just complete misunderstanding of what marketing is about. Marketing is a function to create an action that a company wants to happen. So I would tell them to reverse engineer, what, like, I would ask, like I ask marketers like, what do you want, like I've literally had conversations where I asked the marketer in a startup like, what do you want to happen? And they can't answer it for real. And the answer needs to be whatever the fucking business needs to happen tomorrow, <laughs> right? Because when you're in a startup, like so the carnage that is about to happen in startup land that I can't wait for once we have our next economic slowdown is gonna be really gratifying for me because I've become stunningly disgusted with what's really happening in startup land which is nobody's building companies anymore. Everybody's just building machines that are built for the next round of funding. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I tell the marketer to do their fucking job. I would tell her or him to say, you know, what is your business trying to do and how do you make that happen for the least amount of money? Good. Before we go back out to the audience, I've got um, a few questions from the Facebook live stream. Thank you guys for joining us there around the world. Um, worldwide. Worldwide. Global. All in one place. Um, in fact, the two questions we've got, well, I've got, got quite a few, but they're along the line of, how will your personal style work in a more conservative UK market? And then another one to follow up with, how does Gary see the difference with UK and USA marketing? So, so I haven't played hard, like one of the things I pride myself in is not to talk about shit I don't know. I haven't been, and we haven't marketed here long enough for me to feel comfortable on answering the second part of the question. I see the data. Facebook arbitrage is better in the UK market than the US market. Every one of you should be running Facebook ads if you want to do business in this market tomorrow. Figure it out. One test that didn't work doesn't mean it doesn't work. So number one, I know that from data, but still there's creative variables that impact that. Uh, this is a more mature e-com market. Everybody has their own things. So the data supports enormous opportunity in the UK market for the UK consumer because there's a lot more traditional execution going on here uh, by the companies, yet a lot of you are just far more advanced actually than the American counterparts on the way you buy stuff through the internet. So that's a huge opportunity as you can imagine. Um, on the first part, you know, I fully, you know, listen, I rub people wrong. I'm too American for Americans. So I think, you know, on common sense, there'll clearly be some people that won't love, uh, you know, what I'm going to do. But I, uh, I'm not worried about that. Like, I have nothing but respect for everybody. I'm just really comfortable in communicating with passion and my mm. point of views. I want only good. Here's what I'm grounded in. I want to build the biggest building in town. And my plan on doing that is to build the biggest building in town. And I think what most people do is tear down all the other buildings around them. And I think once people get a real read on me and they understand that's how I roll, all the bravado and the you know, hustle and all that stuff starts to become more palpable because I'm not trying to do it at anybody's expense. Like I'm trying to, you know, when I say, hey, dick face, you need to get serious about this, it's because you haven't listened to people say it nicely for two years, and that's what I think you need to actually maybe think about it for 30 seconds, yeah. because you're clearly not doing the right thing, so let's figure out what communication style needs to be deployed right now mm -hmm. to actually make you do something, because here's the biggest problem I have. My biggest competitor in the world is your success. The biggest problem I have is when companies are doing Good. Good scares the shit out of me. We're up 9%. You know, that's scary to me because that means you're not going to do anything to change. Mm -hmm. And 
Usually what happens after being up 9% is not being up 9%. And it's predicated on do you want to change and be up 15 or 19 or 22% or do you want to be down 1%. And so, um, yeah, I mean, listen, I will, I will pull every lever of anything I have to do to communicate, not because I want to be funny or because I think it's cool, because I'm desperate to help the other person on the communication to do something that I think is meaningful towards what they yeah. want to do. Your one-on-one -on -one communication with like the whole community is unparalleled. Like I've not seen anybody else like put so much time into it. And it's I, because it's something you're passionate about. I totally agree. And I'm stunned by people's inability as a whole to recognize it. Yeah. I'm so pissed when I get thrown into the conversation with huckster marketers or other social media experts. They don't look like me. Like go go look at them. Like like for huckster marketing, I have nothing to sell you. I got no fucking course. There's no mastermind. I'm not inviting you to my fucking island. Like I got nothing. Like I got nothing. Like nothing. And then, and then other social media experts, if every other social media expert was as good as me, why do I sell 100,000 copies of my book the week it releases on my strategies? And why do they sell 1,000? Like real quick on that, like, like all the other people that are supposed to be experts and social media experts, go look at their book scan numbers. If they're so fucking good and they have such great advice, then why can't they sell their own fucking book? Why do you think then they're not doing what you're doing? Because they're not as good and they're not working as hard. I'm more talented and I outwork them. <laughs> that's just the real truth. Like that's just the real, like, like why is like, the best soccer player in the world, the best soccer player, because they have the most talent and they outworked everybody. Mm. Because talent's not enough, we see it all the time. The number one pick doesn't always be the best player because talent's not enough. And hard work's not enough. I could try to be the greatest soccer player of all time, it wasn't gonna happen, mm. right? So like, they both matter. And so why, why? Because I'd like to remind everybody that unlike every other social media expert, I built a $65 million business before I came out to the world and said, hey, I'm here, let's talk about business. Where do you think this is gonna take you? Me? Yeah, where's this all gonna go? To winning Super Bowls. Yeah, <laughs> buying the Jets. It's all about buying the Jets, Stevie. I think, I think realistically, my dream, I love to always talk about buying the Jets. What my real, what my real dream is, in parallel, because that is my real dream, uh, is I want to prove to the world that you can build a financial empire on being a good person. Mm. I think I can change the business landscape forever. Right. I was very affected by Steve Jobs' run as the guy. A lot of my tech friends started becoming mean to their employees because that's what Steve did. And it affected me a lot. And I said, huh, I wonder if I go and build a multi-billion dollar thing on being the best with the community, the best with my employees, would then people wake up and be like, oh, I want to be like Gary Vee and that's what he did and I'm going to do that? And the answer is yes, that's what people do. And so I'm on a very interesting crusade. I think, you know, I think capitalism and meritocracy are the greatest truths in our society. I, have, I do believe that. And so for me, I'd like to show the world that there's absolutely ways to be aggressive and competitive and want to beat your competitors' faces in the ground, but, but be the, a great guy to your team and, and to the people that are surrounded and build something very meaningful. And I think I'm in the process of doing it. And I think what's really intriguing about what I'm doing is I'm documenting it the whole way. Mm. So, you know, it's one thing to see my content now. Just project that every day, every day, every day 
30 years from today. You know, I, I made a search engine for Ask Gary B. I don't know if you guys saw this, mm. where, which is really incredible. If you go to askgaryvaynerchuk.com, I'm really proud of it. Every word I've ever uttered on that show is now searchable. Mm-hmm. And the value that I'm getting from emails, and I'm not, I've, been, I've been promoting it a little bit, on, but I haven't really gone in yet. Like, people are really getting real value. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's super cool. Like, they're just getting the answers to their questions, and I'm like, wow, imagine that at scale. Imagine that, like, imagine all of the words that ever came out of my, this, this interview being completely searchable, which is really cool. Like just, just I'm really excited about, I, I know what my intent is, and I think that for people that have known me a long time, and I see some of the faces around here, like I know what people thought I was 10 years ago, seven years ago, five years ago. My, I'm only winning every day that goes by, while a lot of other people get exposed over that time. Got a question from, from online. Um, Mike, we'd like to know, which early stage startups are doing it right? I don't know. Um, I would tell you that um, it depends on how you define early stage, right? You know, I think Snapchat did it really, really, really right. Um, but the truth is, I'm not sure. I mean, which early stage startups are doing it right? The ones that are clearly going to be profitable with their actual business in the next six to 12 months because if capital dries up, and you're living on the next round of funding, you're gonna, guys, very big startups that we all look up to will be out of business 36 months from today. They will be out of business. Just watch very carefully for the following term that you're gonna hear a lot about over the next year. Down round. Get used to down round, which means XYZ startup, unicorn, got valued at 800 million in their last round, and you just heard that they raised new money at 325 million. Why? Because nobody was gonna give them money at a higher range, and the options were go directly out of business or heavily lower the valuation of your company and get some new money in to stay alive. Down round will be a word you hear over and over and over over the next 18 months because we went way too crazy on early stage companies. Companies were getting A and B funding before they had any business, which is nothing like we've seen before. It's completely broken and there's gonna be enormous opportunity and a lot of, you know, you're, you know it's, we also live through a time where the, the way one was deemed an entrepreneur was predicated on them saying they were an entrepreneur. <laughs> which is great, but there's, you know, if you said that you were a singer or an athlete in our society today, they would come back and ask you, are you a professional athlete? Like, do you get paid to be an athlete? But in entrepreneur land, every kid in here who's got an idea goes, I'm an entrepreneur. That's nice. Are you a professional entrepreneur? Like, do you make money? And so I think that's about to hit its head. At the same token, we're about to go through the golden years of the internet. Internet's starting to get, you know, internet's 20. Remember when you hit 20? Shit was starting to get cool. Like those 20 and 30 was fun for everybody who went through that. Like that's you're you're in your there's a it's I would, I don't know if it's your prime, but fuck, you are solid. And I think the internet is about to go through that as well. Really the consumer web is only 20 years old. Mm. Right? Windows 95 is kind of what really started the version of what we're seeing now. It's young. Like just rewind, like everybody in this room is old enough to just rewind just 10 years ago. Most of the shit we're talking about right now didn't exist. Like didn't exist or was six months in 
or nine months. I mean, like, are you kidding me? Like, everything. We didn't have smartphones 10 years ago. Like, now it's the only thing that matters in our lives. So, we're just starting. I've got another question from here. We had the Engage 10 years ago. Yes. Yes. I mean, we 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 had stuff, and you guys had text. You guys had texting before we did, right? In the U.S., like we had stuff, but I mean, what do you think the world's going to look like ten years from today? Have you looked at what how a fourteen-year-old lives her or his life? What do you think they're going to be doing at twenty-four? You think they're going to be clicking banner ads? (laughs) You think they're even going to know what a laptop is? Because they're not. Hi, Gary. Hi. Hi. Um, I think most people in this room and most people you talk to are trying to build an obsessive audience. Okay. We actually have the reverse problem. So we have 400 million visits to our shopping centers in a year. So we're probably the biggest media in the country. Interesting. Now, what we want to do is build content. And everybody's trying to grab our audience. Google are trying to grab our audience. Everybody is. And we want to make sure that we get the right angle so that we can you know, have Keep that them. audience and have a relationship with them. What's your advice on that? Okay, so I want to make sure. So you guys, let, go a little bit deeper. Are you, in, you, guys ha, you guys are in the retail, bricks and mortars world, malls? Like what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, so we own 15 shopping malls yes. throughout the UK. Yes. Into, by the way, everybody, (laughs) quick plug. plug. Um, And actually, the team here, everyone wave. We are, um, we we run the digital side of the business. So we're integrating digital content with our audience and two-thirds of the British population shop with us. So we see that as an absolutely massive opportunity. Of course, because what's going to happen over the next 20 to 30 years is that number is not going to go in that direction. You'll start losing that audience over time. And by the way, I said two to three decades. So like, you know, 20, 30 years. But it will dwindle. Like like the 20% of e-com business that happens in the U.S., 30% here, that came from somewhere, right? It came from physical. It keeps getting chipped away. It doesn't happen as fast as Silicon Valley thinks it's going to happen, which is why you're still not out of business. Whereas if this was 1996 and you asked me in 20 years would malls be in business, I'd be like, well, they're going to be in real trouble. So I think things take longer than they think. But I think you guys are smart enough to realize you're a platform. You're a physical platform, right? So first, this is a data war. For you to have all those people walking through your malls and for you to not have all the data of every one of those people, phone, address, age, sex, is a huge problem. And you don't have it. So the first thing I would do, and I'm I'm a big content believer, right? Like, I think you guys should make a reality show, play it on Facebook, because I think Facebook's the -the over-the-top network that Netflix doesn't want to battle. Like, I think you could do some incredible stuff in video production. But before you even go there, anybody who is being arbitraged by the internet, right, in the physical world, needs to be in full-scale data collection, physically. Like, shit, I would incentivize every one of those two-thirds, three-fourths, 400 million, every one of those people. Like, tomorrow, as leaders in the company from a digital side, you need to have conversations with leaders in the whole organization. Like, you should absolutely incentivize data collection at scale. Fucking... Every food court item should be cheaper if they have your card so you get the data or the app or what. Like, I should be able to park in a better spot if I have the app, let me unlock it with my app. Like, and I will trade you data for time, right? Like, like you have to. 
It, you know, it's super great that you have three, four hundred million people walking through. They're not yours. And you can make them yours. Ironically, they're the shops in your malls, people, not yours, but you can actually arbitrage that, have that, own that data, and then build the next version of yourself when and if we stop going to those places. And, and by the way, and I think you guys are probably smart enough to know this, there are a lot of markets where malls are in very big trouble. Like, if you go look at the Australian market with malls, parts of middle America right now, it's already starting to happen, and, and so, I always think people are gonna go to physical places. Um, I just think that every day that goes by, a mall's model is vulnerable and you should siphon the data starting tomorrow. Can I push back? Of course. So, um, so the way we see malls going is leisure, dining, Agreed. experience. Agreed. So what we're seeing with our stores and our retailers that are there, so Nike, perfect example, they're creating brand experiences within the malls You're 100% right. that are totally immersive. And the thing you, is, you people love a free day out and a coffee at Starbucks 100%. and going to Nike. So we, we don't think malls are going anywhere. We haven't seen our footfall yep. move. But actually, I personally think the big, massive, huge opportunity is not VR, but AR. Yep. So contact lenses, yep. walk into the store, 100%. try it on, order my size there and then. And you know, could we be so that let, platform let's, let's, let's for everybody? Let's talk this out because this is fun now. <laughs> so I agree with you because we both agree the way a mall today is as a transactional center is not going to work and it will evolve and retail has evolved through all time, right? It's all thing, different things. The thing that I'm most fascinated by is how top heavy do the experiences become? So Nike, I know for a fact, is not super interested in, be, in driving your overall experience. They're starting to look at locations in the US. Their entire US retail strategy is no more malls, standalone Nike. We're fucking Nike. People are coming to this mall because of us. It's part of their strategy. That's just 100%. That's not my opinion. That's 100%. Now the question becomes, how does that play out? Over time, how does that play out? Because what you're saying is, you're 100% right. We are all gonna experience, right? The question will become, Will the top 50 brands in the world that will have 80% of the leverage want to keep paying you in arbitrage when they are the absolute driver of that experience? That to me is a far more interesting question, right? Because when it becomes too top heavy, which it will, the question will become what does it actually look like? Because malls are great, but there's a lot of land out there. And to pay you a VIG for something that I'm actually driving and then I'm arbing to other competitive products as people start competing with each other in multiple categories becomes very fascinating. Because not only does Nike have this, but it's very intriguing that Starbucks has opened its first 10 standalone stores this year. This is an arb game always, and so I understand why you would like it to be that way because that's the business you're in, the same way I want things to be, the way I want them to be for my business. I think the fun debate, if we're really having this battle, is when it tips, to a small group of having the leverage, it's no different than why Amazon is now private labeling every category. It got big enough in the US market to have enough data to now compete with their own partners. And so malls are not competing with e-commerce. Malls are competing with the seven players that represent 80% of the experiences in 15 years saying themselves, I'm not overpaying you guys for that so I can support the other 10 cockamanian characters in this room when everybody's coming for me. Should malls become content creators as well then? 
Yeah, I think there's, you know, when you're at that big of a scale and you have that big of a company, I think everybody should be in the media business. And so, I literally think you should do a sitcom. I'd like, watch on it. Your I would watch it. I really do, and I think you should distribute it on Facebook. How many people here watch Daily V? It's a TV show being distributed on Facebook and YouTube. And now, how many of you watch it on a television? So this is interesting. So this is interesting. Very small number, one, one and a half, two, maybe three. But in three years, all of you. Like we're so close, right? Like what happens when Facebook makes a TV where you just, in your stream, hit a button and it shows up on your TV, right? Or so like we're very, very close. My new Samsung TV, which Lizzie bought against my will because I have my Samsung joke that some of you have heard. I was, I didn't know we got a new TV. Um, I'm laying in bed looking, I'm approving the new Daily V and it's so amazing what your eye, it's amazing when you get used to something UI, UX wise that if something changes you're like what was that? And you don't even, it's subconscious right? You're so used to it. I'm in the app like it's, it's not launched yet, I have to approve it, make sure you know. But Daily V is super scary for me by the way for all you make because I'm in real business meetings and like one word slip, one name slip, so I have to actually watch these before they come out. It's the first time I've ever watched my own content, it's kind of weird. And I'm like what the fuck is that? There's like this weird icon, I yeah. click it, and then fucking Daily V's playing on my TV. Zero friction. And I, and I said, holy shit, this would work for my mom. And that's when I know we're close, yeah. right? That's like, um, did you see, uh, did you test LBI? They're now doing a, I think it's three times a week, they're doing a morning show live on Facebook. 100%. It's going there. Do the sitcom. I'm 100% behind that idea for the sitcom as well. <laughs> uh, down the front here, good luck Louise. Pass the mic on. Hi, Gary. Hello. Um, I'm Gabrielle Baker, and I am probably alone here in that I'm in the creative space as a voice actor. I don't know if voice actors here. So I'm not, but I am slightly techie as well, Mm -hmm. and I'm very into social media, and I've been following Gary for a few years now. And I really enjoyed your Fiverr. Ask Gary Vee the other day, mainly because the guy had such a gorgeous voice and I was listening to it on my uh, podcast. Uh, but in my community, there's so much hatred for Fiverr and I've stopped talking about it because I get these disgusted Are you looks. Kidding? I get, I have like, I have like literally like death mail from designers yeah. in my inbox from the Fiverr episode. Because they, because they we don't because, like the word cheap. Because they're losers. Yeah. And let me explain why I say that and I'm thrilled and I know everybody's watching. <laughs> Anytime you're mad that there's a marketplace that drives down the cost of your craft and you don't realize that if you're the best at your craft that has no impact on you, you're a losing romantic. There's people that, like, I, I But we're shit. accused I, of damaging the industry if we market ourselves on Fiverr. You're bringing us all down. You're bringing the rate down. You're Listen, killing the industry. A lot of people like communism. <laughs> Feel free to tweet that. Guys, 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 like, like, like I get paid $80,000 to give a speech and do shit like this. I did this for free. I get to decide what I do. Like, like, you don't get to decide. Like, the speaking coaches, the speaking bureaus of the world don't get to tell me to do this for free or not. You decide. I decide. So should I use a pseudonym? <laughs> no, 
for a five no, buck I, I, I gig. Think, I think everybody should do what they have to do, but like. But Just as a platform but, for but sort is, of advertising. It's elitist at best. It's elitist at best. I have a huge community that is, has, makes no money. I've been doing, you, maybe you've been seeing this and it's been weird, it's just this little niche thing I've been doing. I've been pushing this eBay thing, right? You know why? Because I'm getting a thousand fucking emails a week from people like, Gary, this 200 bucks I made this week, like I'm feeding my kids. Like I bought a nice shirt for the first time. Like, like who are you, designer, to tell people that they can't make a $5 design just because you have it good and you can get 500 bucks? They don't have any money and they have no awareness and they don't know how to get people to buy their $5 logo. So here's a platform. You're gonna be mad at eBay? You're gonna be mad at the internet? You're gonna be mad that the car was invented when you had horses? <laughs> You're gonna be mad when VR comes along and wipes out all the internet businesses? Should we feel bad for, for News Corp that the internet came along and Facebook and Snapchat came along? Should I cry for MTV because Snapchat came along? We're thrilled to laugh at big companies that get arbitraged because it's in our benefit, but when it hits home, oh. And so that's Nazi Germany. Oh, it's just the gypsies. Who gives a shit? I'm not a gypsy. Oh, it's just the Jews. I'm not a Jew. Who cares? And it's not five bucks anymore, is it? Because you can... If it's one cent. Fucking, if they keep yelling at me, I'm going to start a website where people do shit for free. (laughs) Because I do shit for free now and I'm rich as fuck and I don't have to because I think, because I think it's in my vested interest for the exposure or the context or I'm trying to build relationships in a new market. I get to decide. Not your fucking elitist fucking opinion. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> fucking pisses me off. So Adam, we're Thank sitting you. next to Gary Vee he's just had a rant. How, how cool was that? It was a good rant. That was great. By the way, Gary, I've got another. Let me say something real quick. And I respect people's opinions on the other side. I respect it. I respect it. I do. Like everybody has. Like they're more than entitled. The, like I, I don't think I'm right. I think I'm right for me. And and I just don't want somebody to tell me what I can and cannot do, because but, but like we have to recognize market behaviors. They're real. And like there's like there's people that get paid a hundred thousand dollars a day to shoot photography, and then there's people that do it for free. I mean that's just the game. And I think what people don't understand is there's a lot of people that are at zero. They're at zero. And like some of these platforms can help. And I don't, and by the way, I don't know, I'm not standing up, I, I don't give a fuck about Fiverr. Fuck Fiverr. Like this isn't about Fiverr. This is about market, this is about ma- marketplace dynamics. This is about capitalism. This is about who am I as a human being to tell you what to do. You do you. You guys have been seeing this from me more and more lately. I'm not telling you to work 18 hours a day. You might get divorced. Like, like, I don't want that. I don't want an email in 20 years saying, I listened to you, I made a million bucks, but my kids hate you, hate me. Like, I don't want that. I'm telling you what I do. You can use it as a context point and figure out what you think. But let me just say one thing. Hard work always is gonna matter. I just wanna make sure that part doesn't get lost. I'm sorry, but it's true. Like, it's just forever. Forever. Like, there is nobody, there's nobody who did it on no hard work. It just, it hasn't happened. Show me, show me. Like every, you know, I made that video the other day, I guess it was a Daily V and it opened with Beyonce. People love, Beyonce's got it so great. Beyonce worked her fucking face off since she was, her fucking dad made her dance fucking since she was four every day of her life. Like everybody sees what it's at when it's good. You guys see this now. I didn't have a fucking childhood. I worked every minute from 14 to 30, all of them. 
Like, you know, and so like, I think that we have to factor in these things. Yeah. I have a, a question that's come in from Twitter from one of our bloggers here, one of our actual writers, Don Birch. Um, he recently wrote an article about, is it time to call bullshit on influencer marketing? Right. He wants to know your thoughts on it. I think influencer marketing is one of the best deals in the world. There it is. So I guess, now, 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 to that point, to that point, we have to get into details. A lot of this is headline reading. I think there's a ton of influencers that are overpaid. I'm obsessed with the long tail of influencer marketing. There are so many people with 300 to 3,000 followers on Instagram that will do so much good for your business, you would not believe. And there's people that have 100,000 followers and good engagement too, by the way. It's not just they bought them good engagement, but they've pimped every fucking thing under the sun so the depth of their promotion or, or sponsorship is not real. I've never pimped anything, so when I do it, it would mean something. And then somebody who posts some sort of fucking waste thing and fucking tea shit and fucking all that <laughs> shit that you see 24 seven, you know, after you see them pimp something 98 days in a row, you just might not take their opinion for as much value as somebody else, right? And so I think that uh, I'm very hot on influencer marketing. I think it's, I think it's, I just attention arbitrage. Show me a human being that's got a big audience in a niche that I'm trying to reach and she or he doesn't know how to price the value of their distribution and I'll show you a very happy kid that loves those kind of scenarios. <laughs> I've got a gentleman second row waiting patiently. Hey, Gary. Hey, brother. Um, so, uh, 97, 98, I had a Frank Zappa quote on the front of my master's dissertation on the future of publishing. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you that Frank Zappa quote, and then I have a question for you. Please. Uh, the algorithm can tell you a story, but it can't tell you the whole story. It just doesn't have the eyebrows. Interesting. Who do you think today has the eyebrows? I think that's a really cool, that's really cool. So... I think the people that have the eyebrows are the ones that are not romantic around the subjectiveness of the art and realizes there is a process to create a lot of the art to get context on what the consumer actually wants. So, so what he's referring to, I think, and help me here, I, I believe that the art of marketing, right, the creative is the magic, it's the variable. It 100% is. Like, it's not the math, right? However. I believe that there is now the opportunity to create a lot of the art, bubble it up at scale, not be romantic that you're the only human being that knows the voice or the brand or the right song, put it out and let the audience, do you know, do you know how much more successful, Drake, the, the artist. Yeah. This motherfucker's put out like 80 songs this year already. Do you know how smart that is? Do you know what he's doing, why it's so smart? Every artist that we know, all those Prince songs, right, that are in the vault, in 2016, Prince would have put them all out. What you're gonna see from all your artists is if they believe in it, they're gonna put it out. They're not gonna be stuck to the, you need 12 songs in the album, or some fucking partner at Sony Music saying, well, what's this album, what story is this album telling? <laughs> I mean, another, so the people that have the eyebrows are, that are the ones that realize that the art is the magic, but let's cut some of the bullshit out of the, the human bullshit out of the art. Okay, we've not got a lot of time left, so I'm gonna take one more from the floor, we'll take one more from online, yep. and then we'll finish up. I'm feeling, Louise, I'm feeling you good, choose. I'm, willing, you I'm willing to be 10 or 15 minutes late. Oh, 10 for yeah. Yeah. I, just, I would do this all day. Okay, Louise, are you happy to just pass the mic along? There we go. Oh, new system, the pass. Cameraman. I was, I was literally, I'm like, when's she gonna figure out the pass is the game? <laughs> We're gonna learn. 
Hi, Gary. Um, my name's Kevani. I'm 18. I left secondary school, high school, around 10 months ago. Since then, I've um, co-founded an app that basically allows guys to pre-book any barber whilst being rewarded for their loyalty. Um, we are, a majority of our team is black from the African Caribbean community. Love it. I understand you grew up in Jersey around the hip hop renaissance, the 80s. I want to know how you suggest we represent our culture without exclusivizing ourselves. We, how we, uh, well, I want to make sure I caught the last part. How we represent our culture with what? Without exclusivizing ourselves. Because if you look at companies like FUBU, yep. they were very black. Yes. Their consumers were very black. They yes. didn't grow. But hip hop was used to grow brands like Adidas, Puma, not really stuff that belonged yes. to our community. Yes. So how would you suggest we do that? Well, I think it really comes down to what you guys and gals, I don't know your team, but like, what do you want to accomplish? We right? want to revolutionize the barber industry. We want every barber to be booked through our... Well, then level. I think you need to think about every culture and every person yeah. because you're trying to boil the ocean. So mm. I, think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of ways to do that. So I, look, I think, you know, and this has obviously become a little bit more of the topic because I've been doing more stuff in the hip hop. You know, I did the Breakfast Club and that got ridiculous. Yes. And so that brought people awareness and they're like, wait a minute. And then like people you know, scoured my Instagram, like, why has Gary got all these college friends that are black? And like, all this stuff. So this conversation has bubbled up a little bit. I, I truly believe what I'm about to say, which is, one, I think entrepreneurship is rugged and is very raw. And I actually believe the more disadvantages you had growing up, it's a better proxy for success. So I've made more money on female entrepreneur-backed companies than anything else I've ever done. Like, I, 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 I just want to win, so I could care less. Like, yeah. you like that one? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you that I'm far quicker to not want to do business with a New England Patriots founder than black or a girl or an alien or anything. You know, so I think that, um, I think there's a couple things to think about. Number one, I think that you have to bet on strengths, which is where I'm going. So I think, one, when you're a minority or when you have to fight harder than a white dude, I think you need to first of all channel that chip. I think I'm successful and I think a lot of people are successful in channeling adversity. Number two, if your goal is to revolutionize the barber industry, I think what you do is you win on your actions and nothing else. Meaning, just building a successful business is the best thing you can do for the question that you just asked because I think spending any time or energy on the narrative is not gonna accomplish anything in revolutionizing the barber industry. There's one amazing thing about the market. The market, the market, the one I love so much based to your question, the one I love so much, they don't care who invented it. If it's good for them, they want it. They're just real like that. That's what I love about the market. The market is the only thing that's not prejudice. It's the market. Like they just want what's good for them and they don't care who the founder was, you don't know who the founder is of anything you got. Like, you don't know, like, you don't know the backstory of anything you're wearing, using, buying. Like, you know, like, you just want what you want. And so, I would tell you the best thing you could do is actually just build a big business, like, and, and not worry about that narrative, because I think, if I cared about doing something right for the Russian Jewish immigrant community, being successful was the best thing I could have done, right? So, I would tell you that. Now, on the same token, I'll tell you that I'm probably gonna leave a lot of money on the table in my life because I'm much more passionate about being, having a legacy of helping entrepreneurs than I do in maximizing a couple hundred more million dollars. 
If you have passion around the narrative of what you can do, rise up others in your community, then you start spending some of that time and energy on it. Two things, one, first build the business because they'll give you the leverage to do that later. And two, once you feel like you've got a foundation where all of you've got a little something and you're feeling good, then you can start trickling some of that stuff because it all takes energy. It's all opportunity costs. Like this right here tonight is at the expense of something else I could be doing. And there's millions of things I could be doing that would be making me more short-term money. There's millions of things I could be doing that could build my brand bigger. To me, this market these guys, we had, you know, like, was the right vibe when we met for drinks, the, the founder, like, this community, like, so, you know, you make your decisions, but I would tell you, I asked you a very specific question because it's the right question. If you want to revolutionize that industry, that's for everybody, and, and that needs to be what you focus on first. You can get back to doing the right thing for your community three, four, five, six years from today, not doing anything except building the business because you'll use that leverage to actually do it. Second question for you, sorry. Okay. Uh, this... <laughs> age you were probably quite similar minded to someone like me, quite entrepreneurial, trying to set up a business. How do you balance the patience and the impatience at this point? You know, I, and I'm glad you asked that, and, and tall dude referenced it. One of, the, one of the best things that I think I've done for young entrepreneurs is tell them that my addiction is patience. How'd I balance it? Because I knew it mattered. Like, like, all you kids are fucking up because you want shit now. Yeah. And you will, do, you will lose every time. You lack practicality. You want shit now. You're 18. If you get nothing for the next 12 years, just fucking eat shit, grind, hustle, do it, nothing. You'll be 30. <laughs> what? I mean, like, I would, I would like rip my arm off to be 30. I'll, t- I'll give you my arm for 10 years. For 10 years, I'll give you my arm. Like, so. Take me so, back. So I would tell you, how did I, how did I balance it? because I'm a winning player. Because I know how to build million dollar things. And million dollar things don't happen with shortcuts. Yeah. Good luck. That sounds like Perfect answer. Um, Before you put the microphone down, do you want to be on one of these shows? Because you seem like an interesting individual and what you're doing seems amazing as well. Sweet, we'll talk afterwards. (laughs) Okay. Secondly, secondly, you'd you'd do business with somebody from outer space instead of a New England Patriots fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, there's nothing worse on earth than a New England Patriots fan. Uh, I'm a Dolphins fan, so it's fine. Um, we've got Hashtag a, SM Buzz, got, New England Patriots fans. Gonna, let's keep going, unless oh, yeah. you guys are stuck. Can I, go, sure. can I come to let's you keep after going, going to the internet? Yeah. yeah. Just dive through. Um, we've had loads of, loads of questions coming in since we last got one. Somebody asking, would you rehire them? I was like, ah, I'll go past that one. Is that true? <laughs> Gary, would you Oh my God, I love Jeremy. Yes. Is that real? Yes, Jeremy, send me an email. Send me an email. That's amazing. There you go. Um, so <laughs> that's fantastic. Jobs. Yay. And um, that's awesome. Okay, we've got loads of questions. I'm gonna pick. Burr, 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 burr. Where do you think e-commerce will be heading in the next five years? Or what advice would you give recruiters looking to grow their social presence to engage with candidates? I think recruiters need to prove to us what value do they bring. And so I think recruiters would be very smart to put out content. And content that they would normally, so the number one advice I have for people that sell their services is to give it away for free on the internet. Let me explain. I give all of you all my best marketing advice every day. I have agency competitors, I have other people that take my content, repackage it, 
market against Gary Vee fans on Facebook and sell it back to them for $400 eBooks and my fucking fans buy it. Yeah. yeah. You know how much that hurts? You know, like, but I don't care. It's the right strategy. If you, like, and here's why. A, and this is gonna blow your mind, 98% of people aren't gonna do anything about it anyway. That's the crazy one. B, if you keep doing it, if you keep doing it, something innately human takes over and people start understanding the difference between people that provide value and people that are trying to take value. And I'm winning on that. Yeah. Because the one thing that people haven't really figured out of what I'm actually doing is I'm, my behavior is one big case study in the difference between branding and marketing versus sales. If you look at what I've done over the last five to seven years versus what a lot of people that look like me have done, they've tried to transact you and monetize you and I haven't. I've tried to build a brand on you. And what ends up happening is I end up winning that race in the long term because your word of mouth, your appreciation, your support trumps the short-term returns that other people do. So if I was a recruiter, I'd be putting out advice that you may think that you've got three little things that you tell a candidate that like about your resume, about something that that's the secret sauce. And you've converted well. That shit needs to go in public and get shared and then bring more people to you, not less. Because what people haven't understood is advice in general, the way I'm doing it right now, can only be so good. Right, like that's why I do Q and A because I can add three to four more context levers where you may not agree with me or where we need to finish the thought, and we end up being in a more similar place or in a different place or something that I can round value around. Every recruiter can give their best advice, but then when they meet you, are going to listen to you and have to give you three or four other data pieces of advice that they could never do with their content, but they haven't figured that out. They think they're in the advice business, so why would I give it away? Back to Fiverr, I give everything away. Fiverr haters, you know, and so, <laughs> so um, that's what I would do. As far as where e-commerce is going, I think they're gonna put malls out of business. Just kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What I think, e- I think, I think if you're, how many people in e-com or flirt with it or play with it? Not a lot of people, you're a couple? Yeah, it's true, right. I couldn't imagine not making every decision today around e-com based on a mobile only environment and I don't need iPad. I mean your cell phone. So like, that would be the number one thing I would say. For you to be in e-com and not every behavior you're doing is, okay, 84% of our business is desktop and 16 is mobile, but let's do everything in our business right now with it being about mobile and all the business we get from desktop is gravy until the shift. Do, you, do we have any recruiters here? Don't say. Nope. Nope. It's because that's basically all I get from recruiters is stuff like that. <laughs> and if you just stop doing that and listen to you. What does it say? Oh, it's, I'd like to add you to my network on LinkedIn. It's just Batman and Bane. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, spamming people on LinkedIn is not a marketing strategy. So many recruiters still do it. Because it works. Because people hate their fucking jobs. They're like, well, I hope this guy can help me. <laughs> um, but, but. But pay attention to what I'm saying because those were two contradictions. So that's a recruiter that's going to win on sales and transactions. The one that listens to my advice wins on brand. Right? The reason I sell 100,000 copies of my book the first week and not 1,000 like all the other people is they're transacting and I'm marketing.
Stephen. Okay, gentlemen here. Uh, that T-shirt is amazing, but not at the same time. I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing what you're doing over the last couple of years online. I've got three things that we will try to be very fast. No problem. Uh, first of all, uh, my name is Rafał. I came to the UK around 10 years ago. I'm from Poland. So it's kind of like you. I was born in communistic Poland yes. in middle uh, mid-80s. Um, for the first five years, I was doing different kind of uh, day jobs here. And over the last five years, I do my own business. I started as a photographer, then I went into video, and, and I'm doing okay. That, that's, my, that's my project that supports me, my wife, uh, and our, our family. So that's, uh, that's good. Over the last year, and especially over the last couple of months, I started doing more, much more like uh, 200, 200, 500 percent more than I was doing last year. And suddenly, there is no much time to sleep. <laughs> Like, uh, I've got my passion, which is video, and I have another source of income, which I'm starting, which is in financial market, and that uh, would bring me uh, much more money than my passion. And uh, how to find a balance between... Family, 20, passion... Between 22 income. hours of work, yep. between what I like to do, between what I know will bring me much more money, yep. and... Um, yep, it's a great question. Yeah, keeping it growing. First and foremost, it starts with you communicating with your wife, first and foremost. That is the most important thing. She's on the board, she's fine. I, so, <laughs> so she's benefiting. So, so, but, 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 it's, but, it, but it's super important. Like, first of all, you have to make sure that you're creating the environment for her to tell you the truth, right? Because she may be in a position where, sure, but it may be nice to have date night or more time with the kids. And this is something that Lizzie and I go through every day. I'm always trying to create more protection. I did it very aggressively this weekend where I'm like, like this last six months has been really like, like I'm even scared that I'm so on this high that like I've been thinking about like how am I gonna stop this? Like cause this is not sustainable. I don't even want this for myself. Like I don't want, like the way I'm going right now over the last six months, like I don't even want it. I don't even want it. Um, but what's crazy is like it's fucking like, right? Like I'm like, like the high is so intense. I'm like, fuck, the, the deep, like coming off that high is gonna be hard. Um, yeah, so. I don't want to go sleep, but I know I need to because. So I will say one thing, you know, it's a good <laughs> opportunity for me. Like, let's make sure we get this on my Snapchat because I wanna get this. This is my next thing that I'm gonna pound. I'm a huge fan of sleep. I'm a big believer in sleep, and I think everybody should sleep a lot. I mean it. I'm actually trying to sleep six or seven hours every day. It's not happening for me all the time, but I'll sleep 10 hours if I can from a Friday to a Saturday. Like, sleep's massively important. I'm more worried about what you're doing while you're awake. Right? Like, I'm worried about people lallygagging and bullshitting and playing Candy Crush and fucking, you know, that. You know, so, but sleep I'm all in on. I think it's communication, right? I think it's balance. And I think the other thing that you guys have to figure out, and it's for everybody, everybody has their own thing. It, you can't worry about what other people's relationships are. You've got you guys, you've got your feelings towards what you want to do professionally, your kids, money. And you have to understand the most important part. It changes every day. There's no rule. There's no, in those three things, more money, passion, family, right? 33, 33, 33, tomorrow, 47, like, it's just like, you can't figure this out. This is the unfi- there is no work-life balance. There is no happiness money balance. There's all of us just trying to do the best we can. What won for me and what I'm trying to push harder and trying to figure out how to communicate this to you is do you know yourself? 
That's when you start winning. I know who I am. And then that's why I'm able to do what I do because I'm always picking the thing that makes me the happiest and then I'm just making sure that everybody around me that's affected by that, where do they sit on that pendulum of being okay with it? Because if I'm not doing what's best for me, well then I can't support everything else and as you can imagine in my life, I support a lot of things. And so, um, you know, it's just constant, it's a living and breathing thing and it will never be solved. It just, once you make that decision and you realize it can ebb and flow and you have to know how to concede at times, you have to be patient, you know, like, you know, like I love calling patients but then I'm in my own like momentum moment, I'm like, okay, gotta be patient and so you just fight but there's nobody, I'm not gonna be able to answer that for you, nobody is. You gotta answer for yourself and I would say the other thing is Every time you're not feeling good, tweak the numbers. Every time you're not, that's what I do. You haven't heard from me, maybe ever, for the people that watch me hardcore, saying I don't want to go at this pace. It's because in the last week or two, I'm like, I don't want to go at this pace. Like, 20 hours a day, like, like I need to figure out, like, this fall, I'd really like to pick one day a week where I go home at six o'clock and just stay home. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I'm really trying to figure it out. We'll see. I, I agree. It's a choice, and uh, we try to have at least uh, one once a week, a day night and stuff like that to, to that's make huge. sure that's happening. Yeah. I mean, by the way, by the way, and, 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 and by the way, and by the way I, I've, gone, I've gone months without having that with Lizzie. Yeah. Like, Are we trying? I haven't said we like, made like, it happen. It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. And, uh, oh. and another one, a uh, quick one. Double bubble. Uh, very quick. quick. I would like to be and do what I can to help you if you need me to be your D-Rock in the UK or okay. in Europe. Okay. I oh, do no video. And, business, yeah, <laughs> and I, I can do it. I'm Great. more than... Yeah. Gary at VaynerMedia.com. Say you're a guy with the ideas of shit shirt and I'll get you connected with D-Rock and we'll figure it out. Okay, let's Thanks, speak. Brother. Nice Cheers. one, right. So I'm well aware that our three bosses have been standing for an hour and 15 minutes to make sure everyone else got seats. Thank you, bosses. Thank you, bosses. Um, <laughs> Thank you, bosses. So Stay we standing. are going to close with one final question. Okay. What's next for you? <laughs> other than sleep, other than sleep, what's next for Gary Vaynerchuk? I'm a counterpuncher. I'm a counterpuncher. And when you're a counterpuncher, you have no fucking idea what's coming at you. You know? And that's who I am. And so what, what will be next is what's always been, which is... I'm really good at understanding white spaces in consumer behavior. The stuff that you guys are not thinking about, don't realize, or don't realize you're gonna do. And I like to pay attention to that human behavior. I like to figure out how to story tell whatever I wanna tell in that platform. And then I become a practitioner when I see it. And then I test and learn, I test and learn. The stuff I'm learning about Musical.ly right now may work for me if Musical.ly becomes the next Snapchat or may work for me in three years when something similar-ish to it and the things I learned from Musical.ly in the way that I learned a lot from Social Cam, you remember that five minutes? You know, that app was very hot for literally five minutes, but it became the foundation of what Snapchat and Instagram Video and Vine, and I learned. And so uh, what's next is enormous amounts of listening while everybody thinks all I'm doing is talking. Well, we've all been listening and it's been fascinating. Before we finish, I'd just like to say a quick congratulations. Adam's just been promoted this month to head of social for the drum. Well done, him. Well done, Thank you. Oh, you. I'll let you finish up. Yeah. Um, because this was a live recording, um, I'm going to finish it off like it is a TV show. You got it. What? Shit. <laughs> what do I do? Um, thank you very much for Gary Vaynerchuk. 
Thank you. Thank you for coming along. And Stephen Lepertak, my guest. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Take that. Um, this has been another edition, a special one of SM Buzz Chat. Let, let's, let's be honest. The best. This <laughs> has been the second best edition oh. of SM Buzz Chat. Can, can I ask you a quick question? You were recently interviewed by Larry King. What was a better experience, this or Larry King? This was better. Yeah. <laughs> Because there was, me, because there was, hu there was humans in here. Sorry, tell, well, no, 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 no. I'm just tell me the first who? best one. No, no, the best who, one now. What, what do you think was the best one? Yeah. No, you are the best one. It's okay, fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Right, close up, close up. So, thank you very much for Gary Vaynerchuk joining me for the best SM <laughs> chat that we've ever had. <laughs> Wink. Um, we'll be back <laughs> with another episode very soon. Uh, not as good as this one. And what? Well, the no, next one will not be as good as this one. Oh, yeah, this is not just the best. This is the best one you'll ever have. <laughs> it's the worst ending to one. Should we do it again? <laughs> Thank you very much for Gary Vaynerchuk for joining me. This has been the best episode and is the last episode I'm <laughs> going to do because it's never going to be any better. Never going to get better. But if Bye you like everyone. this, we could probably start doing stuff again. Follow us at The Drum, at Buzz Awards on Twitter. Um, I've been Adam Libernati Roach at Bacon Chin. Go on, explain. Say who you are on Twitter and Snapchat or Instagram and Pinterest and Vine. <gasps> Don't need it. <laughs>